right in, right in the very middle of wedding season around here. So uh, I've been doing a lot of meetings with couples preparing to get married. I have seven weddings in eight weeks. Uh, this weekend was my one weekend off. Yay. Um, but uh, so that means I've been meeting with a lot of couples to talk about their upcoming wedding and also their marriage, their life together. And in our conversations, one of the things we often talk about is the difference between expectations and reality. There's smiles and nods because some of you know exactly what I'm talking about already. In fact, one of the quotes that is front and center in our pre-marriage conversations is, every disappointment involves an unmet expectation. Ain't that the truth? It is a lesson most of us, married or not, have had to learn. We all have some expectation of the way things are going to go, and then when they don't go our way, we don't always handle it that well. It's possible, maybe even probable, that I personally have had an expectation about what a certain day or event is going to be like, and when it goes a different way, I am, let's say, not my best self. You can just ask Sam. (laughs) Usually it's my fault for not communicating said expectation, but also this is kind of the way things are even when we do communicate our expectations clearly, right? Nothing goes to plan, really. Almost ever. We think our day is going to go a certain way. We think our marriage is going to be a certain way. We think our work is going to be a certain way. Our family, our vacations, most areas of our lives, in fact, we have sort of a plan of what we think is going to happen. And it doesn't always work out that way. There are so many things we can't control in all of those places in our life. So knowing what you expect and Being aware of what others expect from you is important in any relationship you are in, whether it be a marriage or family or friend. We know this because we say things like, we need to manage our expectations. Anyone ever said that? Yes, yes, there should be a lot more hands up, people. Or we need to talk about, or we talk about the need to have clear and realistic expectations, right? So we we have this about any number of areas of our life. This is essentially, this managing expectations, this is what Jesus does with his disciples in today's gospel. He kind of checks in with their expectation. He manages them. And he does it in such a great way. In one that they almost don't realize it's happening. He simply asks them two questions that check in with those around him. First, he asks the disciples, So who do people say that I am? Now, this question on the surface seems like it'd be pretty easy to answer, right? You just repeat what you're hearing about Jesus out in the world. So they respond with this perfect phrase that maybe we've heard a few times, which is, some people are saying, and then they go on with all these answers. So, some people are saying you're John the Baptist, or some say Elijah, or some say one of the prophets. And while this seems like a pretty simple answer to a simple question, Jesus is, of course, asking a much bigger question, and the response he receives gives him a lot more information than just a list of names. He is trying, after all, to gauge the expectations of the people around him. If we had had a regular kids' time today, I had it planned, I would have asked Katie, not not me, I would not have done this, Katie would have done it, and she would have done it great, by the way, um, to act out animals by sound or actions, and then she would have asked the kids, 
who do you think I am? And then they would have said, if she mooed, a cow, or a meow, a cat. Like, it would have been fun, right? Cute, adorable, yes. And you all would have understood exactly what she was doing. In a more grown-up way, this is what Jesus is doing today. He's saying, when people look at me, when they see the things I'm doing and saying, who do they, who do they think I am? And really what he's asking is, what does that mean they're hoping for? What are their expectations of me? So each answer then does give Jesus a good idea of what people are thinking and expecting of him. So some people say Elijah. Now this is a significant answer actually because first century Jews would know the story from the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures of Elijah. And they would have known that he was a leader, one of the few that did not die of old age or being killed, but he was simply raised up into heaven. So that means he could potentially come back still alive at any moment, right? And there is a promise in the book of Malachi that he would come back. And so they're pretty sure it's going to happen soon. So maybe this guy's Elijah. After all, the things Elijah did in the world were miracles, healings, speaking truth to power on behalf of those on the outside. Sound kind of familiar? Sounds a little like Jesus, right? So when people say, you know, this... Jesus kind of acts like Elijah, and he kind of talks like Elijah, so maybe it actually is Elijah, and wouldn't that be so great to have this promise come true? Some people say, you're John the Baptist. Now, John, in Mark's gospel, had recently been killed, and some were hoping that maybe John had been risen from the dead, or maybe he hadn't been killed at all, and it was just a rumor they had heard. And this was him showing up in a new way. What did John do when he was in the world? He preached repentance, he spoke against corruption, and he spoke for inclusivity in the new community of God. Again, sounds kind of right, right? So it's not impossible to assume that this might be the right answer also. Some people say other prophets. Sometimes the way Jesus talks about God and what God is about in the world or when he talks about the kingdom of God looking like a certain thing, he sounds a lot like a prophet. Maybe not Elijah or John the baptizer, but another voice, a new voice sent to move people in the right direction back towards God in preparation for the coming Messiah. Now, all of these answers seem possible, actually. They all makes sense based on what the people are seeing and hearing. And they tell Jesus what people are expecting from him. They are kind of hoping that he is the one that finally ushers in the Messiah. They want him to be the person before the Messiah. So then the Messiah is one step closer. This question is an interesting one for us to ask ourselves too. Who do People out there, not you in here, we'll get to that. But people out there, who do they say Jesus is? Get that in your head? Then Jesus turns to his disciples and says, Okay, now who do you say that I am? And I like to imagine super blank looks on their faces because I think they had already given all their answers as some people, right? So they said, Elijah, I think it's, I think he's Elijah, but I don't want to say it, so I'm going to say, you know, some people think you're Elijah and some people think you're John. And they're really trying to say, 
What's, we want to know what the right answer is. We want to give you the right answer. But we've already, we've already given you all of our answers as other people. So now we're just standing here stone-faced. And Peter, you got to love Peter, stands up and says, You are the Messiah. Peter's answer is so great because there is zero evidence at this point that this is who Jesus is. There is very little reason for Peter to have made this huge claim. And he does it, and he does it with confidence. I imagine the other disciples kind of being like, yeah, okay, Peter, whatever, this Peter guy, he's always doing this weird stuff. And Jesus being like, yep, you're right. And everybody just being shocked by this. And just as the other answers have told us, Peter's response tells us something. Peter wants Jesus to be the guy that finally saves the day. He doesn't want the person before the Messiah. He wants the actual Messiah. So Jesus doesn't deny it. And I see the disciples in my head kind of getting excited, like, oh my gosh, you guys, we're with the actual guy, and getting like real excited about it, right? Like, this isn't the guy before the Messiah, this is the Messiah, oh my gosh, we picked the right person, we're following the right person. And Jesus manages their expectations a little bit. He says, listen, um, me being the Messiah does not look like you're thinking it's going to look. It is not going to go the way you think it's going to go. You want a king, you want a warrior, you want a conqueror. I'm going to be rejected and suffer and die, and then I'm going to rise, and that is how I'm conquering everything. This is how it's going to go. And Peter is like, yeah, that's not really what I was hoping for. That's not what I was expecting when I said you were the Messiah. And it's this moment where I think we can really find ourselves in this story. Because when we are asked this question, who do you say Jesus is? Our answer tells us a lot about what kind of God we are looking for. We might respond that Jesus is a teacher if we are struggling through a lot of questions about who God is and what God's about. If we're wondering what it looks like to be a Christian in the world today, we might say Jesus is an example for us to follow. If we're struggling with some kind of physical or mental illness, we might say that Jesus is a healer and a miracle worker because that is what we need from our God. How many of us would respond like Peter? You are the Messiah. You're the one that's going to save us. Because, let's be real, things around here are not going so great, right? People are hurting. feels like everybody has cancer. People are divided. They're fighting. They're angry. Things are not good. There are systems of oppression and sexism and racism all over the place. And it would be awesome if our Messiah could just come in and dismantle everything and save us all. I kind of get Peter's response. And like the disciples, like Peter, I'm, I'm not sure we're ready for the answer Jesus gives us. I'm not sure we actually want the kind of Messiah Jesus 
is. I'm not sure we want the Messiah who tells us following him isn't going to be sunshine and roses every day. The one who tells us that following him doesn't mean we're going to be the most popular or most powerful or most important or have the most money or most toys or most influence. That's the way the world works. But Jesus says, this is not the way I work. You are setting your mind not on the divine, but on human things. I think Peter just wanted a hero. Someone to come in and take down all the bad guys. And honestly, being a follower of that hero meant that he would have a front row seat. Maybe he'd even get sidekick status. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, those who want to save your life, their life will lose it, and those who want to lose their life for the sake of the gospel will save it. Right after he calls Peter Satan, by the way. Being a follower of Jesus does not bring glory or status or power. We should be wary of people who are using their follower of Jesus' status for glory or power. See, being a follower of Jesus means standing up for the sake of the good news, the gospel, for love, for the least of these, for the ones without power, without social capital. This is what Jesus is trying to communicate. Following Jesus is not always easy. It goes against the grain and against the status quo. It is not always going to get you what you want. It is probably going to disappoint you. So then our answer to the question of who we want Jesus to be eventually tells us a lot about ourselves. And it's not that our answer to who we want Jesus to be changes Jesus. In fact, his response to Peter reminds us very clearly of that. Jesus is going to do what Jesus came to do despite what we wish were to happen. But who we want Jesus to be is connected to how we follow. Who you are, how you act, reveals who you want Jesus to be for you. Today's gospel is significant because Jesus makes this clearly defined shift, a move from Christology, which is just talking about who Jesus is, to discipleship, which is what does it mean to follow Jesus? And so should we make this shift. This is what we try to do every time we gather in this place. We, too, try to make this move from hearing about Jesus and who he is and what he's done and trying to take it out to our actions, to the world out there. What happens when we leave this place? See, the good news, the gospel, is that Jesus came for us, for you. You're going to come up to this big, wide, open, expansive table, and you're going to hold out your hands, and you are going to hear, this is my body given for you. And that is Jesus looking at you in that moment and saying, I love you just as you are, just as where, just where you are. See how much. And as much as we want to just sit in that and stay comfortable in our pew, in that love of God, we are sent 
And it is not easy to be sent, but it is pretty clear what that's supposed to look like. Jesus gave us some pretty clear expectations. What we are called to do and be in the world is laid out, is spelled out. How we live that out in a world where expectations don't always meet our reality means that we get to be bringers of help and hope that to people that really need to hear that they are loved just as they are, just as you need to hear you are loved just as you are. So there's a blessing given in this text to us today, the good news. So hear it. If you need to close your eyes, hear this blessing. May we take the love we have been given, abundant love, out into the world to serve as guides and examples so that all of us together may manage the great expectation that has been given to us with grace and love. Amen.